0: So, as I mentioned, uh, this is another one of those difficult Gospels that we still often find in Luke and in the other synoptic Gospels. They're just challenging words in there. This is actually Luke's take on a more familiar parable that we know from Matthew that's called the Parable of the Talents. And it kind of shows that Luke was kind of a cheap man because a talent is worth around $1,200, whereas a pound, which we hear about tonight, uh, or also known as a mina, it's about 20 bucks. So a person with a talent could live for a year with 10 talents is basically wealthy for life. You're not going to be able to do that just living on $20. And the story works on two levels, the parable does. The first is as a political diatribe against the existing leadership of, of Israel at that time. And secondly, and we'll get into both these in more detail, but secondly and more importantly, as a message on God's grace and what it has to do what we do with it as disciples. Now the political diatribe, this is a piece of arcana that you guys probably will have no awareness of, but I had to say it. So functions is something, there there was something that existed in Soviet Russia that was called Samizdat. And Samizdat, anyone hear of that? Okay, Samizdat was, uh, and it's made most famous by the writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So it is a way of taking and portraying the oppression and, uh, and the greed and all the evil that is going on within a political system in a almost novelistic way so that the people who know, know, but the, the writer and the reader, if they're found with that piece of literature, says, no, it's just a piece of literature. So, and that's kind of how this is functioning because the, the listeners of, of uh, Luke and the people of Jesus' time would be very clear that this was written about Archelaus. Archelaus is the son of Herod the Great, uh, he's kind of a petulant wannabe king. He, his father had been granted kingship uh, by uh, Antony. He wanted the same, so he goes to Rome with Augustus in front of Octavian and Augustus and um, is denied kingship. And part of the reason he's denied kingship is because some 50 uh, Samaritans and Jews and Palestinians went to say, this guy's a really bad leader. Don't make him a king. You can imagine he was not very happy with that. So you sort of see that playing within this in the noble man that you know there are detractors taking away from them. But I think the bigger message is more pointed to the listeners of the gospel and to us, therefore. Now, this parable is a favorite of capitalists for obvious reasons. It's also one for lovers of the prosperity gospel, where you get you you are as you do good you get more acquisition, you get more things. And, and when you think about it, it this, God, this parable couldn't be more American. You, know, you work hard, you invest wisely, you get rewarded. I mean, what's to say no to that? And especially it features money, so it's even better for us. But actually, Jesus is referring to God's kingdom and how the disciples like us are entrusted with the secrets of the appearance of that kingdom here, now, where it's happening. And that there will be a reckoning for us, for the disciples, based on what we do with that grace that we receive, what we do with the pounds or the minas that we receive. Now, the slave with the one pound is evil. And it's interesting, in Matthew, he's called lazy. But actually, I think evil is better. Because he disobeyed, pointedly disobeyed the master, pointedly disobeyed the nobleman. His explicit instructions were, do business with these until I come back. Did the slave do business? He buried it in a handkerchief in the ground. So there's no business in that. I mentioned that this is a difficult gospel, and, and it's difficult especially because we are meant to interpret the nobleman as Jesus, and his going away to become king as his death resurrection and then waiting for the second coming so if jesus is the main character in this or that that character he's described as a harsh man that takes what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow that's not the jesus that we want to know we want the nice friendly jesus you know loving the children etc cetera, etc cetera. we it, it's really difficult for us to understand this and the nobleman so much as says as admits to it when he says i'll use your words be used to describe me, to explain my justification, my judgment. You see, we are given God's grace. We're given secrets to the appearance of the kingdom. We are called to do business with it while He's gone. So, what we can, what can we do to make this, this grace, these secrets of the kingdom increase, or maybe be more apparent? I think we start with we see it appearing all around. It is happening in the middle of hopelessness, in the middle of difficult times, in the middle of unrest, in the middle of injustice. Uh, and I have to say, you know, it's, it's hard to see. For me, it's hard to see the kingdom sometime these days and it has been for a while now. But I ha- I, we are being called to believe. We're being called to invest in that kingdom. We are called also to spread the grace that is love to all. That's a way that the kingdom grows through love. Love, love everyone, love our neighbor, love our difficult neighbor. And then we are called finally to obey his commands, to love justice, to fight evil, and to love each other through everything. So it is a difficult gospel, but in the end, I think it's difficult because we don't necessarily want to hear what work we have to do. You know, it's easy to say, Ours is a God of love and grace and redemption and renewal, and I genuinely, genuinely believe that. But it doesn't mean we don't have work to do. Not work to achieve salvation, work to be disciples, better disciples of Christ. So as we sit here tonight, remember in the Eucharist that we're about to receive, in the ability to come together and worship, in the community that we share, that. We're given a piece of the divine treasure. We just need to do business with it. Amen.